Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, when your name makes people confused about your gender until you enlighten them. The point was, you aren't going to be taken seriously if you've just outed yourself as a miss. You now look kind of insignificant. That's what I got from it. And what it's like when a man swaps names with a female colleague for a week. I had no authority, essentially. Prior to this, I had just kind of an assumed authority. I People seemed to assume that I was capable of the job that they had paid me to do. And I guess I had taken that for granted because when I was working as Nicole, that was oftentimes not the case. But don't expect everyone to believe you. We just said, hey, guess what? We did an experiment and fun fact, our clients treat Nikki kind of like crap on the whole. And he just immediately was like, ah, yeah, you can't prove that and you don't know what you're talking about. Coming up on The Broad Experience. And just a heads up, you will hear the occasional swear word in this episode. So in the unlikely event you're listening with kids, you might want to put your headphones on. But before we begin, how often do you think about marketing yourself? Some of us are great at this. Others, like me, would rather do anything other than talk ourselves up which is completely understandable. The thing is, every decision about you and your opportunities is made in a room you're not in, which begs the question, can you do anything about the conversation in that room? Joanna Bloor, a former guest on this show, believes you can, and it starts with knowing how to talk about who you are and why you're important. Joanna is on a mission to get us to talk about ourselves in a new way. Uncover your unique value, then learn how to share it with others. So in that room, they're telling your story and articulating your value the way you want. Organisations including Microsoft, EY, 21st Century Fox and Cartier have brought Joanna in to talk to employees from entry level to executive with remarkable results. Go to joannablaw.com and check out her services page to find out more. That's J-O-A-N-N-A-B-L-O-O-R.com. Reference the broad experience and receive 10% off a workshop or individual coaching. When I was a child growing up in London, I couldn't stand my first name. I didn't love my last name either, but it was Ashley that really bothered me. Because at least in those days, in the UK, Ashley was a boy's name, and people often reminded me of that. My mother's American, and she'd thought of Ashley as more of a feminine name, which it usually is in the US. But that was no consolation to me at my school, surrounded by Victorias and Lucys and Natashas. So I got really into this piece I read in the Financial Times recently about ambiguous names. Alev Scott was the author. She lives in London. She's a writer and commentator on Turkey and everything that's happening there, which these days is quite a lot. 
She's half Turkish and she began her career as a journalist there but came back to the UK when the Turkish government became increasingly repressive. Her name, Alav, means flame in Turkish. Her Turkish mother chose it. But like a lot of kids whose first name sounds foreign in the country they live in, Alev says people always struggle to pronounce it. None of her schoolmates had much interest in her Turkish half. For years, she just wanted to be called Emma. But it wasn't until she began working that her name took on another dimension. People who hadn't met her assumed she was a man. It was really when I started working as a journalist that I, that I got to grips with the problem, I suppose. And what's also quite funny is that I, I used to work in Turkey. I used to live in Turkey as a journalist. And so it was ironic that in a very patriarchal country like Turkey, everyone knew I was a woman because they were familiar with the name. So that was fine. I had other issues about, you know, there were other problems associated with being a female journalist in Turkey, but they weren't connected to being confused for a man. Whereas in the, in the West, that was, that was the problem, was that people didn't know I was a woman and I had to tell them somehow. And I also had to deal with the knowledge that they might then think of me differently or they might, in fact... I don't know, it's odd second-guessing what people think of you when they think you're a man. You know, it's hard to know that and it's hard to ask them. So a lot of the times I've just sort of guessed about a slight slight shift in tone or, you know, that there's all sorts of unknowns and that's one of the frustrating but also the quite interesting things about my name. And I had to admit that I was one of those people who, looking at her name in print, assumed she was male. I read a piece of hers in the FT several months ago, and only when she wrote that piece about ambiguous names did I realise my mistake. Because I was one of the people who fell into that trap of just assuming you were male when the name isn't obviously female. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure I've been guilty of it as well. I don't, I'm not sort of finger-pointing here. I think, I think it's just part of how we're formed as society. Um, people just assume... People are male unless told otherwise. Uh, and that, that's interesting. It's also worrying. I do... It's funny. Like, I, I, I sort of know that people probably assume I'm a man unless I tell them otherwise, but I haven't adopted a policy of dealing with that. I mean, if people specifically address me as Mr Scott or make some reference by which I know that they think I'm a man, then I'll try to put them right. But you can't go around in life sort of shouting about the fact you're a woman like just in case people assume you're a man it's 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 not something that I feel you can really work into your public persona. So she lives with it correcting people when she feels she needs to just like I do when I get emails or letters addressed to Mr Milne tight. I hadn't thought much about titles though until Alev brought them up. I do often consider what would happen if we just got a got rid of titles because I think I don't know maybe they're antiquated at this point um I have a lot of issues with with titles, in fact. You mean titles such as Mr, Ms, Miss, those titles? Yeah, exactly. I don't really see what's wrong with just using people's first names. It doesn't get rid of the problem of assuming someone's gender. I mean, at some point that might still be an issue. But I don't know. I I, I personally have a real distaste for Ms. I think it's really ugly. And I think it symbolises the fact that there has to be this awkward compromise for women that doesn't exist for men, because all they have is Mr. I mean, setting aside doctor and professor and so on, which applies to both sexes, thank goodness. But, you know, Ms. is just, I think it was probably concocted by someone with their heart in the right place and for good you know, for a good reason, but I still think it's a really ugly compromise. Why should there be a Ms? Why should there be a Mrs and a Miss? Why should women have to categorise themselves and be classified and 
uh, why do all these problems occur when when there's only one title for, for people of the male gender? I just think it's weird. She'd rather not be categorised by her marital status at all, but since people often assume she's a man, she sometimes uses a title to indicate her gender. A while ago, in her role as a Turkey analyst, she was introduced to a group email list of experts on the Gulf states. Mostly she was a lurker, but at one point she says the discussion veered towards Turkey and its president. I just felt that all the contributors to this particular discussion, it was about President Erdogan's support for Syrian rebels, and I, I just thought none of them were really quite getting the point and they weren't that well informed. Um, generally, it was, it was, you know, it was a high calibre of discussion. But anyway, I decided to chip in. In the months that I was on the group, everyone was male. I mean, I, I didn't. Apparently, there were other women on the group. I, know, I never heard from them. Um, so I, I chipped in and in one of the replies, someone referred to Mr. Scott's comments and they were discussing my comments And I just thought, okay, well, this is quite a serious academic male heavy group. I'm not going to make a big song and dance about being a woman, but I do want to just put them right. Because it's awkward, you know, when if you don't say anything, then it's almost as if you're sort of uh, being dishonest in a a strange way. So I just felt like I should say something. And I replied, I addressed some of the issues that had come up in response to my comments. And I signed off uh, in brackets, Miss Alev Scott. And she thought little more of it. But someone else did. Soon after she'd sent that email, the man who had introduced her to the group, she describes him as an Iran expert, quite old school. He said, you know, why did you, you know, it's none of my business, but why did you advertise the fact that you were, that you're not married or draw attention to the fact that you aren't married by using Miss? It's not common among the list of impressive women who contribute to this, to this group. And I just thought, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening um, and that I have to explain myself. And I explained that I thought Mrs. Ugly and that people thought that I was a man and I just wanted to correct them. And he said, oh yes, but you know, it's not common among the women who, um, who contribute to this group. Um, they're usually assumed to be senior um, or otherwise professional women, you know, professionally important women. I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, I could find it, but um, the point was you aren't going to be taken seriously if you've just outed yourself as a miss. Um, You're not a professor and you now look kind of insignificant. That's what I got from it. And sure enough, it it did seem to be that people, you know, people didn't didn't respond nearly as uh, enthusiastically after I sent that email with the clarification of who I was. And she says, you know, maybe it was just that the discussion was moving on anyway. But she continued to have this niggling feeling that revealing her gender and marital status had demeaned her in the eyes of others. It just clarified for me what having a name like mine can can lead to and the explanations that have to follow and people's disillusionment. I don't know exactly what was going through their minds, probably just surprise. But I think people have an unconscious bias that comes through whether they know it or not. Hearing her talk about this took me back to those interviews I did for the last show on being overweight at work and how it can be so hard to tell whether someone's judging you on that one thing. You have this feeling, but you can't be sure. And you can hear Alev second-guessing herself on this. Did those other commentators think less of her views now they knew she was a woman? I feel like as women, we're, we're probably a little bit more attuned to noticing that shift in tone when someone realizes that we're a woman um I'm, I might be 
completely wrong here. And it would be really interesting to talk to a man about who who is often assumed to be a woman and and see whether they're aware of that shift in tone, whether there is one, uh, what it feels like, and whether it feels positive, negative, whatever. Like I, I would be genuinely interested to talk to a man about that. And that's exactly what we're going to do after the break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Earlier this year, a story blew up online thanks to a series of tweets by a writer called Martin Schneider. He tweeted about an experiment he'd done a few years before with a colleague of his, Nicole Hallberg, an experiment where he suddenly found out what it was like to be a woman at work, and she got a taste of what it's like to be a man. A couple of things you should know. Martin and Nicole worked for a startup where all their interaction with clients was in writing. The company they worked for was a resume writing and editing service. The job was based in Philadelphia. They worked out of their boss's apartment. Everyone was in their mid-twenties. I asked Nicole to start by talking a bit about what the job involved. As technical writers, we would go through a really rigorous editing process and go through several drafts with each of our clients to get the answers right, ask them more questions, fill in more details, edit, edit, edit as we go until we came up with a finished product. Sometimes this would take between like four to six weeks. So we would work pretty in depth with individual clients and get to know them pretty well. Very rarely would we get on the phone with somebody unless there was like an actual problem. So for the most part, it was just a lot of emailing back and forth. So they wouldn't see our faces or hear our voices uh, or really have any way to determine like what our gender was. That's Martin or Marty as he's known. But Nicole, you were You've written about this, that you were already made quite conscious of your gender in this job before you and Marty did this experiment, right? Oh, yeah. Something like less than 48 hours after I'd been hired, I kind (laughs) of knew which way the wind was blowing. Um, Our boss, very, very shortly after I was hired, he he was our age, you know, it was a very small company. There was really only four of us. There was one writer already working there as well, who was remote, but... He let me know that, you know, I should be proud because he wasn't considering hiring any females. And I had made the cut out of hundreds of applicants, and I had just impressed him so much with my um, writing samples and the practical interview that we did, yeah, that he decided to go ahead and hire a female anyway, because he said they'd always had fun at the office and he didn't want that to change. (laughs) So sorry if I made working there too miserable, Marty. I I am a joyless, humorless female, but you know. Oh, he also said something about me when you asked about what I was like. Yes. So remember, Marty wasn't there for, he wasn't moving for another few weeks. So I asked um, what, I said, what was Marty like on literally day two of me working there? And our boss said, oh, you know, uh, he's a good writer. Um, but he gets, he gets pretty emotional. He's kind of a girl that way. <laughs> it's like, did you really just say that to me? <laughs> Is this real? 
<laughs> is this some kind of elaborate prank? But no, he was dead serious. She took a deep breath and plunged into the job. But with a boss who felt females weren't quite up to par, she felt she had to work extra hard to establish her competence. And she felt kind of the same way with clients. Most of them were men, usually in the STEM field. I knew from experience that it's harder for a woman to be taken seriously and to be seen as an expert. So I really, you know, dotted my I's and crossed my T's on every interaction, made it very clear that I knew about their industries and knew what I was talking about, you know, name dropping different systems, just they would know I'd heard of them, things like that. What ended up happening was that Marty, one day, he was complaining about one of our clients, which we did all the time, but saying, you know, this guy's just being really unreasonable. Um, I don't know what his issue is. Just like he's being a total, like, he's being a condescending jerk, really. And Marty noticed that he'd accidentally had his email signature set to my name. We had used a shared inbox and we just chose from a drop down menu to sign all of our emails. So this guy wasn't being rude to Marty, he was being rude to me. Again, Marty had accidentally been signing all his emails to this client with Nicole's name. So he went back into the correspondence, choosing his own name from the pull down menu. He didn't let on about the mistake. He just said to the client, hi, I'm Martin. I'll be taking over this edit of your resume. All of a sudden, this guy thinking he's working with someone new just becomes as sweet as can be. Just, oh, thank you for asking that question. That's a really smart question. And oh, all of a sudden, Marty knew what he was doing when Nicole clearly did not, when really nothing changed. So Marty went to me and he goes, does this happen to you? And I was like, oh, you know, only every day. Um, so yeah, I said, if you want to see what it's like, I said, let's switch. I said, well, you know, all the new incoming clients, I'll be you, you be me and see how differently they treat you. Oh, so Marty, tell me, uh, what, from your perspective, what did that feel like? Nicole just told my entire half of the story, man. So unfair. Uh, Welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the, this is normally the part where we switch to you. Okay. Uh, for, for me, like working as Nicole was, um, it was difficult in ways that I found dip, like hard to describe. Uh, suddenly I just had to do a lot more. Uh, I got a lot more pushback, uh, questions that previously I thought were just basic things like first round questions. Suddenly people were asking, well, why would you ask this? Uh, or they were saying, I guess this would be impressive if you didn't know the industry. Uh, or like little condescending barbs like that. And, you know, not not all of the clients, obviously, but there was a noted increase uh, in my workload. So my it took me longer to work with clients. And I also was able to bluff a lot less. Prior to this, I, I had had a little bit of ability to just kind of fake it till I made it. Uh, if there was a topic that I was not aware of and this time I was not able to do that I had to do a lot more research because I would get called on it a lot more I had no authority essentially prior to this I had just kind of an assumed authority I people seemed to assume that I was capable of the job that they had paid me to do and I guess I had taken that for granted because when I was working as Nicole that was oftentimes not the case I uh, did not have as many opportunities Uh, to assert my authority, however made up it may have been, uh, during that time period. And remember what Alev was talking about earlier? That change in tone she detected in people's responses when they realised she was a woman? Well, Marty experienced that when people thought he was a woman. 
that's one of the issues we've had is just it's it's a tone, right? How do you prove a shift in tone? It's one of those things you just feel like you're being talked down to. I think we all know what it feels like to be talked down to, even if you can't point out and say, hey, you're doing it, especially not in text. Uh, so there, there were a few Huns, there were a few Sweeties. I used to get um, emojis a lot. Did you get any emojis? I, I got no emojis. I got smiley faces all the time. Some winky faces. Oh, oh, yeah. Now that you mention it, yeah, I think there were a couple of winky faces. <laughs> Maybe someone was trying to flirt with me. I don't know. I don't think so, but I'm not going to rule it out. So, Nicole, what was it like for you that week? What was it like when you were apparently Martin? Oh, I had such a great time. <laughs> I really did. Um, one very silly thing that I did differently. Um, I told you that I used to spend enormous time and care crafting every one of my correspondences with my clients to project an aura of professional being a professional and being an expert but I noticed when I edited some of the guys resumes I noticed that um, Martin and our other coworker. So, some of the guys meaning she did like some double checking work on something that I did or something that one of our other coworkers had done yeah yeah the, the, the guys meaning the guys I was working with I noticed that when I checked some of their resumes the way they wrote questions and comments, like not speaking in complete sentences, no punctuation, things not capitalized, thing you know, typos and things like that. And I was like, I doubled and triple check all of my comments to make sure they're like perfect and there's no spelling mistakes because I feel like as soon as I have a typo, they're like, oh, well, this broad doesn't know what she's doing. So I was like, I wonder if I can get away with writing like that and if there will actually be a backlash. And like I did and there wasn't and it was awesome. <laughs> And I was like, oh, cool. Men don't have to write in complete sentences. Good to know. <laughs> which, which brings us to, like, kind of the underlying preface of this entire story, which is that one of the big complaints around our office, quote-unquote, was that our boss thought that Nicole took too long with each individual client, took longer to get from, you know, first draft to final draft. Uh, and even though I didn't see this as an issue, it was one of those things where like he would get on me for it and I would have to get on her for it and it made everyone miserable. And that was kind of the underlying, uh, the premise behind this whole thing. Uh, and suddenly I completely understood what it is exactly that takes, uh, longer for her is that, you know, in the time that normally I could be halfway done with a client, I was just by that point as Nicole convincing them that I knew what I was doing. So I suddenly realized, oh, there's a reason why, on average, it takes her longer, because there's a longer uh, adaptation period, I suppose, and you have to spend more time being way more careful than I did when I was Martin. They did the experiment during a week when their boss was out of town. Sometime after that, they decided to tell him about it. They were all at an event outside the office. His reaction? Immediate. I mean, immediate dismissal. Like, before we'd gotten through telling him all about it he was he literally like waved his hand i'll never forget what he said he goes he goes there could be a million reasons that they treated you guys differently like you don't know there's no way for you to know there's no way for you to know and i remember being so angry i was just so frustrated i just wanted to scream i wanted to shake him i was like what the fuck are you talking about what million reasons could there be that all of a sudden they think i'm smarter because my name is marty like what 
what are those million reasons? But what I couldn't understand for the most of all was why. What reason did he have? We weren't accusing him of anything. It's not like I was asking for more money. It's not like I was asking for accommodations or more time. We didn't frame it that way at all. We just said, hey, guess what? We did an experiment and fun fact, our clients, you know, treat Nikki kind of like crap on the whole. And he just immediately was like, ah, yeah, you can't prove that and you don't know what you're talking about and that's not true. And I was like, we're not even accusing you of anything. What, what skin do you have in this game? Like, what do you get? How does it benefit you to deny that sexism has ever existed? But then I remember all of the terrible sexist comments he's made to me since I've worked there and had continued to make just and things often said out of like I think ignorance more than malice and yeah I mean small small concession I you know later said that's fine if you don't believe this but I'm not going to get on her case for speed anymore I'm not going to fight that battle and I think he pretty much conceded just because I think he was tired of having the fight uh, so he kind of made his peace with that once that information had been presented. But that's the tiniest of concessions I can offer, to be honest. Neither of them works at the company anymore. In fact, it's been sold twice, and the former boss isn't there today either. But back then, Nicole racked her brain for reasons why he would so strenuously deny that any difference in treatment could have been gender-related. And she finally came up with a hypothesis. This guy, he had created this company himself, right? Um, he, was, he, he was 25 at the time. He had built, like, a company that supported three employees, which wasn't nothing, you know? And it was, like, supporting a pretty extravagant lifestyle for him at the time. And he was incredibly proud of the fact that he was a self-made person, regardless of the fact that he had wealthy parents, regardless of the fact that they had partially bankrolled this company. But I think that if he had acknowledged that, you know... I was disadvantaged at work. I think maybe he would have had to acknowledge that he was advantaged, and I don't think he was willing to do that. And and this is, you know, not just, you know, special to him. I think this has to do with anyone who has, enjoys any position of privilege. Uh, I think people have asked me about this, and, you know, why is it so difficult for people, like, to admit that they have some sort of advantage, uh, visible or un- invisible, and I think it's because you, if you admit that somebody else has to work harder, it, in your brain, it puts down the work that you've had to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe that uh, I didn't work hard. I don't believe that I haven't worked hard. But I'm fully willing to admit that somebody else has to work harder and maybe I have advantages. And when Marty went public with his story earlier this year, it went viral. Over weeks and months, he and Nicole got thousands of responses from women saying they'd experienced similar things in their work lives. These were women from at every age, at every level, in every occupation. Everybody from like female C-level executives all the way to female butchers and mechanics. And they all told stories. We had one, it sticks out in my mind, but the there was a husband who told the story of he and his wife were both dispatchers, 911 dispatchers. Uh, and they discovered that police responded differently to the female voice than to his voice when they were, like, telling people to go and respond to emergency services. And that's terrifying. People could die because of just some weird latent bias. 
You mean people didn't take her, people weren't as quick to obey her commands, suggestions? Yes, that's uh, that's the story that we were told. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I heard, you know, hundreds of stories like that, too. Some of them were heartbreaking. Some of them were hilarious, you know? Um, they ran the gamut. But I think what people need to understand is that this is, this has a real cost for women, you know? Um, this is kind of like an interest piece for a lot of people, but... Uh, I think folks need to understand that, like, this is holding women back in their careers. It's keeping them from achieving what they could achieve because they have to strive that much harder just to be taken seriously. You know, like, it's costing them positions. It's costing them money. It's costing us as a society. Even this story and the popularity of this story is an example of why the story is necessary. I'm fully aware of the fact that the only reason why this ever caught fire is that it was told by me, a white man. Uh, and I get this criticism a lot uh, from like far left feminists, and it's a it's a valid criticism. You know, people ask why did Marty need to experience this? Why couldn't he just believe you know people to begin with? Why do we need a white man to tell us this story? Um, and I completely acknowledge and understand that criticism. Uh, the closest I can say is that there's a difference between understanding that something exists, because I was never one of those people that denied sexism, uh, or even denied that I had weird sexist biases, and probably still do, uh, but there's a difference between understanding that something exists and really experiencing it for yourself. It's kind of like you don't realize how many stairs there are in the city until you're on crutches, it's just something you don't think about, and it's something I didn't have to think about. Uh, and now that I do, I have to. I tried to tell the story so that other people can think about it. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, too much like, oh, just defending Marty just because he's my good friend, and he is my good friend. But you know, I've seen women say that, and I've told them when the, when they say specifically like, why didn't Marty listen? You know, when Nicole said it, why did he have to see it for himself? I tell them, like, listen, you know, he did. He did. That's why I was able to talk to him about this in the first place. I told him it was going on, and he believed me. But he didn't fully understand the extent of what I was talking about until he'd lived it. And I think that would be true of any human being whatsoever. I genuinely feel that if every woman stopped every single time something a little bit sexist happened to them, and they stopped every time to tell a man about it, no one would get anything done. And speaking of men's reactions, Marty says a lot of guys kind of squirm when they hear this stuff. It makes them uncomfortable. And that's the good ones. I think for a lot of men, it's hard to hear stories like this uh, because we all want to think of ourselves as good people. And we all just agree that sexism is inherently bad. I think that a lot of men when they see stories like this, they immediately get up in arms and they want to say, hashtag not all men, which basically means not me, I don't do this. When, in fact, they should be asking themselves just introspectively, do I do that? Did I do that? Is that me? And it's a tough question to ask. Most people don't like the answer. I don't like the answer when I did it. It's a recipe for defensiveness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... I would absolutely recommend anybody. You want to have just a great, just an easy week. If you're a woman, <laughs> just, <laughs> just change your avatar, change your picture. Well, Nicole, <laughs> Nicole, why don't you explain why you don't 
go by a pseudonym because this is what happens every time. Someone says, why don't you just go by your initials? Yes. This is fascinating to me that people still on Twitter, especially will reach out and say, and a lot of times it's women will say, well, Nicole needs to like change her online name and her profile and just go as like Nick. And I'm like, like it's this, a, like this never occurred to you. Like right. that thought never happened before. <laughs> that's, that's amazing to me. I'm like, you know who I am because of a story about swapping names. Do you really think this has never occurred to me? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally have thought about it. And I very consciously decided not to do it. So when I left that company, I became a freelancer. And part of the reason was that I wanted more control over who I worked with. I didn't want to appease any more sexist assholes <laughs> for a paycheck. I just didn't. I didn't want the, that to be part of my life anymore. I wanted the freedom to fire a client if I had to. And that's been a beautiful, wonderful thing with its own set of challenges, you know. But uh, I wrestled for a long time with whether or not I would use a male pseudonym. And the answer that I ultimately came up with was that if you have a problem with my writing coming from a Nicole, then I don't want you to have my writing. I don't want to deal with you. I'm lucky. I can afford to say that. Some people can't, and some people don't care, and they just want to, like, get ahead in their career and not deal with the bullshit, and that's a great choice. Like, that, I will validate that 100,000% for anybody that wants to do that. It was good enough for Emily Bronte. Like, it's cool, you know? (laughs) It was. So, yeah, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. It wasn't the right choice for me. I, I was like, you know, I'm going to live or die and succeed or fail as Nicole, and that's going to have to be cool with the people I work with, or else I'm not working with you. Nicole Hallberg. Thanks to her and Martin Schneider for telling their story on this show. You can also hear them on their own podcast about male and female experiences, not each other. And thanks to Alev Scott for sharing some of her experiences earlier. I'll be posting more information about all three guests under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. That's The Broad Experience for this time. As most of you know, this is a one-woman show that takes many hours of work, and your support is much appreciated in keeping it going. To contribute, just go to the support tab at thebroadexperience.com and give what you can. And if you can't afford to give, and I do understand, go ahead and write a review on iTunes instead. Honestly, it all helps. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.